But happy St. Patty's Day to all of you. I want to finish and not finish, but continue on in our series this Lent, and um, we're going. We are doing a series on worship. Specifically, we're talking about Jesus's favorite worship songs, and the Psalms are the worship songs Jesus sang. Those, so the Psalms were an important part of Jewish life, and both Jesus and his disciples would have probably had most of these memorized, if not all of them. These songs guided David, they guided Jesus, and they also become a prophetic picture of what happened in Jesus' life and ministry. So Psalm 27 is another one of Davis's, uh, King David's greatest hits. Okay? It's about the security that comes from dwelling in God's presence. It's about... David's desire to remain in God's dwelling. It was about patience. It's about courage. It's about encountering the light of God's face, even when the world is conspiring against you. I'm going to be reading Psalm 27 from the Passion Translation. So here we go. The Lord is my revelation light to guide me along the way. He's the source of my salvation to defend me every day. I fear no one. Exclamation mark. I'll never turn back and run from you, Lord. Surround and protect me. When evil ones come to destroy me, they will be the ones who turn back. My heart will not be afraid, even if an enemy rises to attack. I know that you are there for me, so I will not be shaken. Let's just stop there. That's verses 1 to 3. So what can we find from this, this psalm, first off, is that as we surrender to God's presence, we know that we are secure. As we surrender to God's presence, we know that we're secure. See, Troubles in life seem to push and pull at us. I don't know about you, but, you know, does your troubles make you feel happy? Do they make you feel like you're on top of the world? No, they push, pull, tear, cause anxiety. The source of our strength is up to us. David had a good reason to trust in himself. He was a good king, a successful warrior. He was a fearsome leader, dealt with Goliath. He's an awesome person. He made some mistakes. Yet David chose to find his strength, not in himself, but in the presence of the Lord. Some people only go to God when they're overwhelmed. I, I'm going to, if you don't give me amens, I'm going to amen myself. Okay, so uh, when I say that, uh, here we are, some people go to the God only once they're overwhelmed, I do that. Okay, I don't know about you, but I, will, I do that. Okay, I'm going to, it's confession time. 
His shelter sometimes becomes my last resort. Instead of the first dwelling place, in this way, sometimes it's actually a secret blessing that you're sometimes at the end of your rope. Only God doesn't want you to be on your rope anymore. See, David promises to stick with God, even though he knows he could cut and run. David considers relying on his own strength as a form of compromise. Instead, David is going to stick to his plan of standing with God, even when a threat is growing. And this happened to Jesus many times. The clearest example is found in our gospel reading for today. In Luke's gospel, chapter 13, verses uh, 31 and 32, from the English Standard Version, I'm going to read it. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. I don't know about you, but... Uh, would you go up to Justin Trudeau and say, and you may call him a fox, that's true. Oh, you may do that, but I think that some of us would be a little bit hesitant to kind of go, I cast out demons. I perform cures. You have to be kind of known, kind of know who you are. But here's some context. Jesus just told off the most powerful man in the region, and the same man who murdered his cousin John, the man he would have to face during his trial when he was sentenced before Pilate. What makes Jesus so capable of speaking the truth? What makes him so unafraid to confront dysfunctional thought? Much of our stress and anxiety is tied to our inability to be fully ourselves and fully truthful when difficult situations arise. It isn't the thing that's happening that's the problem. It's actually our fear and discomfort around how others are handling it. I don't want to rock the boat. Maybe the situation will resolve itself. You know me, I don't like to make waves. They should just know better. They shouldn't need me to tell them. Meanwhile, we get smaller and less powerful as we present a version of reality that simply isn't true. God has made each and every one of us a powerful person. When we feel that our power is not there, oftentimes we will blame the other person. Well, that person's making me feel that way. Or I, your power is not in and of yourself or is taken by someone else. Your power comes in the identity of who Christ is. Yeah, that's a good place to say amen because you can't be powerful all by yourself. It's in the identity of who Christ is and what he has done in and through you that gives you the power. 
And worst of all, sometimes resentment sets in. We start to feel like life is going to give us a beating and we start to feel like we have to start looking out for ourselves. But Jesus is confident and free. He is so sure of God's of the Father's protection that he can face any circumstance and live truthfully. People tried to kill Jesus before the cross and they couldn't. The Father protected Jesus. Jesus chose to lay down his life willingly. That's what the Bible says. That's what my Bible says. So, if that's the case, and Jesus laid his life down willingly, what about us? Sometimes people make compromises and sacrifices that actually don't reflect the strength of their love. They don't have boundaries because they're afraid of how it will appear or how their actions will be received. If you sacrifice for another person because you feel you didn't have a choice, or if you crossed your boundaries to help someone and feel resentful about it, or if you think that standing up for your perspective or disagreeing with someone powerful is automatically unloving, then you aren't acting out of love, even when you think you are. You're acting out of fear, and you're calling it love. But love is always unafraid. So where did Jesus learn to be unafraid? Well, verses 4 to 6, let's read that. Here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else, David says. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house. Finding the sweet loveliness of his face. Filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. In his shelter, in the day of trouble, that's where you'll find me. For he hides me there in his holiness. He has snuggled me into the secret place, smuggled me into the secret place where I am kept safe and secure out of the reach of all my enemies. So what does this tell us? It says that when the presence of God is your highest priority, there is no room for fear. I don't know about you, but when situations hit and anxiety starts to fill in, it's because I'm not aware of his presence. I'm more aware of what's taking place around me than I am of him. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to have the, you know, be a superhero and all of a sudden switch on God's presence. Right? We celebrate superheroes today in such a... I think some days we're going to get superheroed out. Uh, not a, I'm not trying to take offense to the two people that are wearing Marvel sweatshirts on. But 
what I'm trying to say is that the dwelling you and God share in the secret place only has room for two. A spirit of fear makes three, so fear doesn't get to stay. This doesn't mean that the presence of God isn't scary. It's a different kind of fear. There's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you're so close to the biggest thing in the universe, the littler things suddenly become less intimidating. The fear of the Lord isn't anxiety about God's intentions towards you. He is always loving. He is always good. The fear of the Lord is about understanding the scale of God's power. And this is where the psalm begins. The Lord is like the brightness of the sun to me. How can I possibly be afraid of anything else? And let's be clear, the presence of God is not the absence of danger. Did you hear me? The presence of God is not the absence of danger. And how many of us, when we get into a situation where there's anxiety, we think, well, worship, worship, worship. Pray, 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 read, read, read. Worship, 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 pray, 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 read, read, read. And we're, then we finally get that warm fuzzy and we go, but that thing is still there. That problem is still there. I want you to remember Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David and Jesus learned the true way to overcoming fear was cultivating a courage that can only grow in the secret place of worship. Most people live in the denial of their own sense of fear. They make choices to avoid the difficult and scary things, and then they talk to themselves into their own excuses. The consequences of, of, the consequence of succumbing to fear is that your life is littered with missed opportunities. And this is how some Christians reduce their relationship with God down to a series of closed and open doors. Instead of being a resident in God's house, they think they're a rat in a maze. You're going to love me at the end of this, honest. If this is God, if this is you, God, will you open the door for me? We really felt the leading to do this. This chance wouldn't come up for us unless God wanted us to take it. I'm going to, if you haven't been convicted yet, just wait. I wanted to do it, but it was difficult, so I think that was God just closing the door. When Jesus said he could only do what he sees the Father doing, he wasn't insecure and anxious about God's direction. 
they had cultivated such a connection in the secret place that God always, that Jesus always drifted towards where God was leading him. So, how do we create a secret place with God? I'm glad you asked. A life in the secret place is cultivated through four things. Time, ritual, awareness, and honesty. Time, ritual, awareness, and honesty. Now here are just a handful of references of how Jesus sought personal time for a prayer and worship with the Lord. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Matthew 14, verse 23. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 6, verse 12. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Luke twenty-two forty-one. So, Jesus cultivated a secret place. Did he not? Okay. So, let's go. Number one, time. Time, 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 time. Now, many of you are sitting back going, I know what he's going to do now. He's going to tell me, take time, make, cultivate a secret place, go in my prayer closet. You know, I, in order to be a good Christian, I've got to, you know, sacrifice time. I guess I want to challenge that thought. In our world gone mad, time isn't either gained or lost. It's usually lost. And one of the most profound things you can do with your time is to give it. I knew there were going to be some amens with there. Thank you, Brenda. Most of the things you truly care about are reflected on how you spend your time and attention. And although the presence of God is everywhere, and although he never withholds himself from you, you will not receive the reality of his peace unless you spend time with him. The time you spent is meant to be a doorway into all in, into the, the other time you have in your day. It would be a great to enjoy the abiding presence always without forgetting or getting distracted. But God is subtle. He lets you control your life. The time you spend with God is not a religious obligation. It's for you, not for him. It's meant to bring color and light into everything else. If you don't make a regular practice of spending time with God, it's actually better if you start small. You don't win any points for doing this. It doesn't impress him or anyone else for that matter. This is about you finding a source of life and joy in the place of his presence. I invite you, I'm not trying to... 
bring a guilt trip on you is that in any relationship that you have personally, it involves time. Your spouse will not get the message of your love without time. Your kids will not get a measure of your love without time. And they're a little bit more blunt than your spouse. (laughs) Mom, Dad, put away the cell phone. You're not concentrating on me. I have grandkids. I know that to be a fact. (laughs) Even my dog tells me to put away my phone. (laughs) If you know my dog, my dog will tell you to put away your phone. She comes in, and she's not a little thing. She comes in, and she puts her nose where it has no business being. It nuzzles you. It takes your hand off. And I won't go into other places where she puts her nose, but the fact is, is that it takes time to have a relationship. Okay. What do I mean about ritual? Aha, I'm glad you guys asked that. I want you to make a difference. I want you to differentiate between ritual and tradition. They are not the same. What I'm trying to have you understand is that you will find that there are, in your life, there are current habits that are always getting in the way of new ones. We are formed by our habitual choices. The food you crave today is the food you sought from the fridge. And even in the past three weeks, if you look at your fridge, it's all the things that you want to eat. There's some things in the fridge that my wife wants to eat that I don't want to eat. But that's my love, my time. I sacrifice my time spending eating things that she likes to have. I don't know why I said that. I was trying to be funny. (laughs) You don't get to make your life into what you want it to be, but you can control the rhythms of your environment. For Jesus, it seemed to be times alone on the mountain. For Brother Lawrence, and that was the dude who took Bibles into the Iron Curtain, It was a time for washing dishes in the monastery. For others, they literally make their closet into a prayer space. Whatever you decide, do it intentionally. The part sanctifies the whole. A little bit of leaven causes the whole loaf to rise. I want to tell you that when we talk about rituals, we're talking about habits, we're talking about discipline. We're not talking about tradition. Because in today's vernacular, when we talk about tradition, there is this feeling that we, in order to be 
Relevant in tradition is sometimes opposite words. The church has lost its relevancy because it's stooped, it's steeped in tradition. And so there is a feeling among younger generations in which we need to deconstruct tradition in order to be real with life today. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the fact is that you and I need to develop habits into our lives which cultivate the relationship that is necessary. If you deconstruct tradition, great, but you must construct habits and ritual to replace that which you think or you have known that has robbed you of your relationship in tradition. What do I mean by awareness? If God is everywhere, then the only thing keeping us from enjoying his presence is our awareness of him. Jesus had this profound way of breaking into worship throughout his life and ministry. He lived a fully, in, a fully integrated life. His times of prayer were not compartmentalized. He didn't go back to regular life after coming down off the mountain. His ritual times with God made him more aware of the presence of God in every moment. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, and said, I thank you, Father, Lord, heaven of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father that no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that you see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. When, you're, when you face something threatening, or when your security is shaken, or when your doubt arises and there is questions, or when something challenges your strength, when you feel insecure about your choices, you don't want to rely on the theory of God's presence. You want to turn that into reality. As the psalmist says, you want to take refuge under his wings. Lastly, what do I mean by honesty? It says in this last part of this psalm, it says, you're the God of my salvation. How can you reject your servant in anger? You've been my only hope, so don't forsake me now when I need when I need you, my father and my mother abandoned me, so I'm like an orphan. But you took me in and made me yours. Now teach me all about your ways and tell me what to do. Make it clear to me to understand, for I am surrounded by waiting enemies. Don't let them defeat me, Lord. You can let me fall into you can't let them fall, let me fall into their clutches. They keep accusing me of things I've never done while they plot evil against me. Yet I totally trust you to rescue me one more time so that I can see once again how good you are while I'm still alive. I don't know about you, but 
He sounds very duplicitous. On one hand, he's saying, save me, yet I'm in the enemy camp. You're good, but oh my God, help. Right? It feels like this, the dude, it doesn't know where reality is. Are you guys reading the same Bible I am? Okay. I'm just checking because I just want to make sure. The point here, what David is trying to say, is having that you can have a secret place so that you can be fully and truly yourself when you're alone with him. I don't know about you, but I have a God who can take me as I am, not as who I think I need to be in order for him to receive me. Are you getting me? I'm looking at your eyes and I'm going, it's it's getting close to lunch, right? (laughs) Oh yeah, it is 12. I'm almost finished. You'd be impressed. Thank you. I will do that. (laughs) The point here is that having a secret place is needed so that you can be fully and truly yourself when you're alone with him. It makes no sense to go through the time and ritual and the awareness of his presence only to fake a religious performance. David sounds like he's got a mixed up mind. In verse 1, God is his salvation. In the same song, he feels abandoned. It's such a contradiction. Or is this what it means to be human? Jesus explained the same doubt, loneliness, and discouragement in dis- at Gethsemane. But this is not a violation of God's presence. It is precisely why he lets you know he's with you. When you're fully surrendered to God, you stop trying to impress him. Conclusion. See, told you. The journey of growing in a secret place does not happen quickly. It requires the patience of a lifetime. If I could tell you, I'm the messenger. I'm the messenger of the message. And I can't instantly wave my wand and give you all a great secret place. Wish I could, but I can't. But the secret place is not something that will never transpire in your lifetime or something that constantly is nattering in the back going, you should have spent time with Jesus. You should have spent time with me. You should have been, you know. We have this inner critic that goes, shame on you. You should have been spending time with Jesus. Y'all, you're facing all this stuff because you didn't spend time with me. Is that really what God's about? The journey of growing in the secret place doesn't happen quickly. It requires the patience of a lifetime. And here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient.
Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. We most admire the courage of a single moment. I don't know about you, but we sometimes admire the person who can stand up in the midst of evil and sacrifice, and we put them on a pedestal. We admire that type of courage. But that kind of courage you can only see from the outside. Courage is really an actual way of life. I like the way Brene Brown says in her book, Daring to Lead, we often think of courage as an inherent trait. However, it is less about who people are and more about how they behave and show up in difficult situations. How are you handling your difficult situations. Your godly courage rises up not to take, pull up the bootstraps. Okay, here's my courage. I'm going to fight this sucker. Or, oh no, it's going to eat me alive. (laughs) No, it's how you get up and go out day after day. It's how you keep pushing even when you don't see the results you want. It's how you stand with God even in the midst of your doubts. It's how you grow accustomed to feeling overshadowed when it's easy to feel anxious. This kind of courage is, well, secret. God will be a witness to how you surrendered to him. And when he sees what you have done in secret, he will reward openly. Church, I encourage you and invite you to make a life full of a discipline of a secret place. Why? Because then you don't have to have someone stand up after the end of worship and say, okay, let's get our hearts in alignment. We've sometimes allowed the the situations that we do for worship to get us spiritually lazy in our worship. Because if if we have that secret place, you won't need anybody to say, let's grab a hold. It's there. It's already there. What God has done is already happening. I'm so thankful that 
God sees me for who I am, warts and all, and still wants to spend time with me. He doesn't turn me away because I didn't do a certain thing or didn't act a certain way. He just likes to spend time with me. And as I spend time with Him, I understand His heart for me and I begin to understand how His way works. Because I realized after I spent time with Him that my own end of the rope got me to where I am today rather than getting back to the presence, the secret place of where I should have been all along. Church, God is raising up a people of worship. It's not what you do on Sundays. It's what you do each and every day. God desires to take his perspective and overlay yours. So that life can happen. It's not about, a, a, about people agreeing with your thoughts and your wisdom and your actions and your ways and your feelings. It's allowing ourselves Understanding that we have walked in surrender to Him and He overlays His perspective on our lives. That allows me to love the unlovable. Do the incredible. And live in hope of the certainty that, hey, God is going to come through. And if he doesn't, as I said last week, he still can raise me from the dead. There are so much perspectives in this room of the way life should be, would be, could be. And all I'm telling you is that life is yours. The strength of that comes from the secret place. Not from revelation, more teaching, a sliver in your liver. All of those things. It comes from the secret place. I want everybody in this room to be successful. And I'm not trying to sell you self-help. I'm asking that God be your mentor. Be your guide. Be your confidant. Be your friend. And that what you do 
is done out of love for him. When all of that works, you'd be surprised how life has a whole different view. It's not something out to get you, destroy you, or to put you down. But there are places and things that are building you up. Because nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from His love and His goodness and His glory. Because He also wants you to succeed and be the person that He's created you to be. That's our God.